Good morning. I know about you, but recently there's been a few different times in my life where I have hoped for things to go differently than they were going. Anybody else ever have that feeling, right? Where you envision something going one way, and then life takes you a totally different opposite way, right? And a lot of times we get frustrated. I get frustrated, you know, or, you know, one of the times, like, right now, just to be very honest with you, is, is one of those moments. Um, one of our, our kids is, is healing from a, a surgery that they had, and it's taken an extended period of time. Doctor's like, oh, it's just going to be like two days. We're like, great. It's been like a week and a half. And we're like, why is she still having such a hard time healing from this? Like, we expected just two days, and then it's been a week and a half, and, and it's frustrating, right? Like, you expect it one way, and it's going the other way. And, or how about how many times have we all wanted... One thing in our life, whether the test outcome to be different than what it was, or the situation that we're a part of to, to go one way and it totally shifts and goes opposite way. Like, have you ever been to a moment, uh, and I, I envision this, right? Like, have you ever walked into a meal and you envision the meal going one way? You envision the conversation going one way and it just goes the complete opposite direction? Like, I remember sitting at a restaurant, and one of the fun games that Courtney and I actually really enjoy playing, and you can judge me of this, I don't care, but it's that question of, like, what's their story? So as they sit down, and then you're like, okay, so what's their story? And it's like, oh, it's their first date. He's super awkward, and it's very entertaining, and she's super calm and collective, and then, like, as the date goes on, as we're eating, we're, like, totally eavesdropping, and, like, playing out what they're talking about. Oh man, she is not into him. This is not going good. She's figuring out a way. She's texting her best friend like, tell me my cat just died and I have to leave like emergency 911, right? Like you, you do all these things or, or how many times have you sat at a restaurant and the waiter accidentally spills something on your lap and you're like, this is not how I envisioned this going, right? Or one of the other moments that I really enjoy watching are like proposal fails on YouTube. It's like a rabbit hole sometimes, right? And one of them was like the dude gets down in the middle of center court at a basketball game, and it's so romantic. And she's like standing there, and she's like, bro, no, no. And she runs off, and you're like, I'm sure he didn't picture that happening in front of thousands upon thousands of people. He envisioned it one way, and it goes a complete opposite way. And if I'm honest, even in our world today, even in the things that we are going through and expecting in today, Things maybe have been sideswiped or totally detoured along the way. For us, I'm very open about our family dynamic is a lot different than what we envisioned when we first got married. When we first got married, it was this idea of, you know, like, we're going to do, you know, marriage just us, you know, us two for like two, three years. And then, you know, we're going to live it out. We're going to travel the world. And by the world, we meant like America because we were still like, poor newlyweds. <laughs> so it's like, hey, we're going to go on this vacation to California and drive down the coast, and we don't know where we're going to stay. We might just sleep in the car. Who knows? I don't know if you can do that, right? But we're going to. And then the family dynamics changed through infertility, and we had this idea that all of our kids were going to be these little brown or blonde-haired little kids running around who look like just like Courtney or just like me, and our kids do not look like Courtney or I. They are these beautiful, beautiful, dark brown eyes, dark black, curly hair, 
with sometimes braids and sometimes big afros, they don't look like us. But what we envisioned and how things turned out, totally different. For me, I envisioned being a youth pastor. I love doing youth ministry. I was a youth pastor for so many years, and I was good at it. Like, I thought I was, this was my realm. Like, it was awesome. And then God had this radical idea of bringing me into a lead pastor role, and I thought he was totally out of his mind. I envisioned it one way, totally different direction. Moments in life where we get sideswiped. Maybe we have to make a quick choice even. Do I trust God and his plan, or do I trust myself? And as we dig into today, I, I think for me, as I was digging in, and the question for me is like, God, where, where are you calling us? Where are you inviting us into? What are you asking us to lean into deeper? And it came down to this, this statement of the best is yet to come in the kingdom of God, always. And I just kept hearing over and over, the best is yet to come in the kingdom of God. The best is yet to come in the kingdom of God, always. The best is yet to come. We've heard this statement multiple times, maybe growing up, like the best is yet to come. Just hang on a little longer. The best is yet to come. Just keep plowing a little harder. Go forward a little bit more. And it's so easy for us today to see the broken world and think how much we long for the day for Jesus to come. And I think there's moments where we all are like, you know, Jesus, yesterday would have been the perfect day because I woke up this morning and it's not a good day. Yesterday would have worked fine to see all the pain be erased, to see all the brokenness, no more pain, no more fighting, no more hurting, no more diseases, no more cancer, no more fill in the blank. But there's a moment where even for all of that to come about, there has to be something that happens. It's a word that maybe we don't like talking about. It's something that we don't even like sharing or or even having many conversations about. It's the word of judgment. Because when we think about judgment, we think about things that make us very uncomfortable. But we know there's a judgment coming. If if you don't think there is, like this, this book, the words of Jesus, the words of God himself, even in the Old Testament, talked about judgment. He didn't shy away from it. He didn't just mention it once and let it go. He talked about judgment. He talked about what it means on the day of judgment. He didn't hesitate. So why do we? I mean, essentially, where are we at today? I think for some of us, we're wrestling with this idea of like, God, I don't exactly know maybe where I'm feeling all this stuff and and the brokenness and I want that judgment to come, but can you at least let me get my ducks in order first? And today we're going to actually look about the story, a, a parable, a story that Jesus talks about, judgment. And before some of us start squirming a little bit and, or maybe before some of us get a little bit too excited about talking about the end times and judgment, there is a reality that we have to remember that even in God's judgment, even in the moment of the judgment, God is just. He is merciful. And in all things, he is a good, righteous God. Can we agree with that? And so this is what I want to do. I want to invite you to open up to Matthew 25. As we close out kind of, um, this is supposed to be kind of like a one-off, but 
I decided to stick with kind of parables a little bit, the stories of Jesus. And so we're going to dive into Matthew 25, 31 through 36. And this is what it says. But when the Son of Man, again, the Son of Man is Jesus, and it's a divine title for Jesus. So the Son of Man, when Jesus comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit upon his glorious throne. And all of the nations will be gathered in his presence, and he will separate the people as a shepherd separates the sheep and the goats. He will place the sheep at his right hand and the goats at his left. And then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, and hear the kingdom prepared for you by the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. I was naked, you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. If you grew up in the church, you maybe have heard those last kind of few lines, when I was sick, when I was naked, when I was thirsty, when I was hungry. And we've talked about those a little bit. And for some of us who didn't grow up in the church, you're, you're reading or maybe you're hearing this story and you're like, so what is he really talking about? And a shepherd separating the, the sheep from the goats. Well, in, in the, the typical Jewish times, the sheep and the goats would, would actually go around with each other. And at night, the shepherd would actually have to separate them. And here's why, because, because the goats needed a little bit of extra warmth. And so by the naked eye, sometimes they're almost indistinguishable, but, but at, the, at nighttime, they need a little extra warmth. So he had to gather them together and had to seclude them in an area where they could stay warm. And, and for sheep, they have that thick wool, right? So they could stay warmer at night on their own. And, but he had to separate them. He had to separate them because they didn't know it on their own. And in this parable, it's not just a parable, but I believe that this is also a prophetic invitation for all of us and even the people listening to Jewish in that, uh, to Jesus talk in that day of what the kingdom of God is going to be like. He's giving them a, a behind the scenes look. He's maybe pulling back the curtain a little bit. He's saying, I want to invite you into what the end will be like. And I want to do it in a way that you're not going to get terrified or scared, but I want, I want to just pull the curtain back a little bit. I want to invite you into it. And when you start to understand, even in this moment, there's, there's not much fear in this, but rather there can be joy that's found in this. Because you have to remember that as Jesus is sharing this parable, this story, the very next chapter, if you just go on and look in your Bible, the very next chapter, the, the chapter title is literally the plot to kill Jesus. So Jesus is sharing this story, this parable, Right before, a few days before, he's going to die. <clears throat> Think about that for a moment. He's saying, I know what the end is going to be like. I know what's about to happen to me, but I want to invite you in. I want to give you a glimpse. In three days, I'm going to be on a cross. I know it. I'm going to die. There's, there's going to be close friends of mine that one's going to betray me. One might even deny me. Many of you will forsake me. Judgment. Judgment is coming. And read what it says. There's a judgment of the nations. The nations. It's a judgment here on earth. Jews and Gentiles, the nations. And, and even for us, we're a part of that. We, the judgment of the nations. Jesus divide them with his authority. And some he will say, come and enter. And others he will say, you may not. But why? And then he lists it off, Right? Come, you who are blessed by the fire, inherit the kingdom 
For I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I was naked, you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. There's these moments of, of you caring, people caring for the least of these. The ones that we would neglect. The ones that we would forget. You can almost re- hear Jesus reminding them even like, Listen, the best is yet to come in my kingdom. It's always the best is yet to come. Even in this broken world, I'm reminded of something dynamic. As I look at this passage, I'm reminded of something that I was told once. I'm reminded of this idea that you can teach what you know, but you reproduce what you are. You can teach what you know, but you reproduce what you are. Here's what I mean by that. Our actions matter. Your actions matter. The actions of the church, the bride of Christ, it matters to a broken world. We can teach, we can talk, we can speak what we know. We may have the knowledge and intelligence to do so, but our actions and our physical actions matter to a broken world and broken lives. Can we agree on that? Right? So you teach what you know, but you reproduce what you are. Actions and lifestyle matter. How we live and care for one another matters. A broken world, our broken world has this me attitude. It's all about me. What are you going to do for me? What do you, you give me? But in Christ's kingdom, it's, it's a complete opposite. In Christ's kingdom is how can I serve? Out of love, out of humility, out of mercy and grace. How can I serve? Actions matter. And look at, even as you continue on in the scripture, look at what it says. Uh, 37, then these righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? Or a stranger and show you hospitality? Naked, give you clothing? And when did we ever see you sick or in prison and, vi- and visit you? He's, he's playing this story out. He, the righteous ones, the ones who get entered in, they're asking, when did we see this? Like, when did we encounter you sick or thirsty, or hungry, or naked, or in prison. When did we do this? When did we meet you in that posture, God? And the king will say this, I tell you the truth. When you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. This idea that Jesus is in all of us, the least of these and even in the righteous. He continues on. King will turn to those on his left and, and he'll say, you know, away with me, those cursed ones, throw them into. He, he continues on to elaborate about the story of what will happen to the right and the left. And when I say the right and the left, this is not a political thing either. Let me just be very clear. This is who he has separated. When you serve, there's an action. When you loved, there's an action. When you visited, it's an action. Jesus is about participation not perfection. And I also want to just make this very, very clear statement. I don't want to like maybe mishear anything. I want to be very clear. Doing acts or actions do not earn salvation. It doesn't earn salvation or it doesn't earn my spot in the kingdom of heaven. I, I have salvation. I have eternity with Jesus because it is a free gift from him of grace and radical love. But we are invited to serve as he serves that flows out of the love for him in us. Does that make sense? 
And as we continue the acts of mercy, they stem from the love that his followers have for him. They're acts of compassion. And when we are filled with his presence, filled with his spirit, we begin to act as he does. So when we embody the presence and the spirit of the living, breathing God, we begin to act in love as he has done. We begin to love the lowly. We begin to serve the selfish. We begin to walk in dignity with the desperate in our lives. We begin to be transformed radically, and then the world begins to see it in a different light, and then the world starts to say something's different. And I want that. Your actions matter. We can teach what we know, but we reproduce what we are. And as we do that, there is this moment where our world starts seeing the radical love of God through how we are acting. Not just speaking, but acting. And I think as we read this, we have this sense of like, justice will come. The righteous will enter and the unrighteous will be condemned. Like that's justice for us. But I think justice, I think that word has been hijacked by our world. I think we've hijacked that word. I think we've kind of manipulated it to to almost think of it not as how Jesus speaks about justice, but rather how maybe we would view more or less like a karma, right? This idea of like, we've replaced the true idea of justice with this idea of karma. You will get what you have coming for you. Uh, my good friend Taylor, she puts it this way, karma will track you down step by step from town to town. I had to throw a Taylor Swift lyric in here, right? <laughs> karma, it will haunt you. It will track you down. We have this idea that that's justice, but that is not a biblical idea of justice. That's a false sense of justice. Because for Jesus, I'd argue that justice is the restoration of the balance that God has always desired in our world. It's the restoration of the balance. And so even in this parable, even in this story, there's an encouragement that we get from this judgment and justice that God and only God brings. For every believer, this is the closest to hell that we will ever be. And for every non-believer, this is the closest to heaven they will ever be. I remember sitting at a conference and hearing that, that phrase said and thinking to myself, like, that breaks my heart. That breaks my heart. A few weeks ago, we were sitting in the coffee lounge and we had this training for some of our staff and our, our key leadership of my advisory team. And this idea that there's people in my life who don't know Jesus or who refuse to interact with Jesus, that breaks my heart. And can I just be honest? That should break all of our hearts. That there are people that we interact with on a daily basis that do not know that there is hope. That there's hope. And and this is just not the end. That there is something better. The best is yet to come. It should break us that there are those around us who won't be experiencing eternity together with God. It should break our heart that there are people who we walk with that will not experience heaven and we won't see them in there. It should break us that there's close relatives, there's loved ones who we won't see in heaven and they won't experience the full glory of God. It should break us, but does it? But does it? It leads me to a question also of do we carry and do we walk with a burden for each other? For the lost, for the broken, for the lowly. 
for the poor, for the hungry, for the naked? Have we lost sight of the main thing? His kingdom and his will. Do we long to see people get what they deserve? Or do we long for people to experience glory in God's presence? There's moments in my life that I have very selfish desires, believe it or not. There's moments in my life where I have selfish desires for some sort of karma to hit someone. Or, or for sometimes even, um, I believe that speed limits are more like recommendations. <laughs> that left lane for me is lo- for those of us who like, I go fast. I don't like using that brake pedal all that often. I go fast. And if you're in the left lane and you're only going five over when you should be going eight over, I'm like, man, like, come on. Like, I hope the police pull you over and let me go by. (laughs) Right? How many times in our lives have we asked or or thought, like, you should get what you have coming for you? But I guess for me, I started to wrestle with this question of, am am I asking for people to experience karma or am I asking for people to experience the radical love of Jesus Christ more in their lives, even when what they've done to me is wrong? And the people that have hurt me in my life, do I say, man, I hope they get what's coming for them. I hope they get double. Or has God worked in my life to a point of saying, you know, yeah, that hurt, but man, I I hope they experience the radical love and the radical presence of God. Do I carry a burden with them and for them? I think there's many of us that probably have walked in where we've had friends who have hurt us with their word, words. They've said some nasty stuff. Do you hope that you have a relationship that will just fall apart and dissolve? Or do you hope that they experience the radical love that they can't imagine? There's some of us, that, some of our family members, some of our closest people in our lives maybe have hurt us deeply. Maybe for some of us, we have parental wounds. And we hope that that God will just give them the karma they deserve for hurting us? Or are we willing to fall on our knees before the throne and say, God, would you just continue to just pour out your spirit upon them? Talk about a radical shift that could happen. Do we really believe, at the end of the day, do we really believe that the best is yet to come in the kingdom of God? Always. And do we believe it's for everyone? Or is it just for those who are like me and like you? I remember hearing a story once. Anybody want to guess what it involves? How many of you guys were wondering why I'm holding a fork this whole time? Did it bug anyone? A fork. The story that I heard was about this young lady. And she was diagnosed with a terminal illness. She was given three months to live. And as she was getting her things in order, she contacted the pastor and she said, hey, can we talk? I'd love to discuss aspects about my funeral. So as he met with her, she tells him that, you know, here's the songs I would love to be sung. Here's the order that I'd like to have everything done. Here's the scriptures that you could read. Here's, can I have this outfit? Make sure I'm buried in this dress. Like, I want to look this certain way. And everything was in order, and, and the pastor's preparing to leave. He's shutting his Bible. He's closing his laptop. And as he gets up, and he's almost to the door, the young lady remembers something. And she goes, there's one more thing. I'm so sorry I forgot. 
What's that, he says. It's very important. I want to be buried with a fork in my right hand. And probably just like you, the pastor was very confused. You want to be buried with a fork? I'm, I'm a little confused. Can I tell you why? And she said, my grandma always used to say something. And she said, every time that my grandma said it, I started to remember it more and more. And she said that in all of her years, if you look back, as the many times I'm sure you have and I have that you've attended social things, family gatherings. I was at a wedding last night. Uh, maybe it's a baptism. Maybe it's a first communion. Maybe it's a, a, a baby dedication. There's always that moment without doubt that somebody leans over to you and they just whisper simple phrase, keep your fork. Keep your fork. Every single social gathering, ever since I've heard this story, I've paid attention to who says it. Keep your fork. It's become my favorite part. Because when somebody leans over and whispers in your ear, hey, make sure you keep your fork, it always remember, it, it always points to something better is coming. Maybe it's a nice big piece of cake. Maybe it's a giant cupcake that you get to eat. Last night at the wedding, it was uh, some chocolate and strawberry-filled churros. Yeah, tell me about it. <laughs> Keep your fork. Because the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. As I sat there last night at this wedding... I started to remind myself that the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. And for this young lady, as she was dying and talking about this with the pastor, she knew something better was coming. She knew something better was coming. She knew that heaven was coming. The glory of God was coming. That in just a little bit, no matter how long the doctors have told her that she would be in the presence of God soon. And so as she passed and as the funeral was going on, people were muttering and asking questions of why in the world is she holding a fork? And the pastor, as he shared about it, he couldn't help but smile over and over as he said, because the best is yet to come. Do we believe that to the core? that the best is yet to come in the kingdom of God. Always. Always. Think of some of the best days in your life and imagine that it just keeps getting better and better every single day. The songs of worship that will fill the, the heavenly realms would just get better and better every day. The glory of God you'd be blown away with every single day and it'd get better and better and better. Like our imaginations can't even imagine what it means that the best is yet to come. And to say that day after day, the best is yet to come. I, I don't understand that to my core. I don't know what you've walked in with today, but I can tell you something. Keep your fork. Keep your fork. Because God has so much goodness in store. 
And the best is yet to come in his kingdom. So as you go today, after we sing a song and everything, like as, as we prepare, can I just ask that we would reflect? That, that we would reflect on, on who we need to share. That the best is yet to come if you believe in Jesus Christ. That, that we have forks to pass out to people, not stab them, but pass them out. Invite them to the table. Invite them to come and feast at the table of the living God. The best is yet to come. And I don't know about you, but I can't begin to imagine what that means to sit at the feet of Jesus and at the throne room and feast on his glory and his presence and know that even as that day comes to an end, that the best is yet to come. And there's people in our lives who need to hear that they are invited to the table. Let me tell you about my Jesus. Who do you need to invite to the table to be with you in heaven this coming week? And share with them that the best is yet to come. Will you stand with me and pray? Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, as you move, as you stir, as you lead us, I ask that we would submit to your promptings. I ask that you would prompt each and every one of us right now to have a conversation this week with somebody who has turned away from you, for somebody who has pushed you away, or maybe even somebody who has just, just said, I want nothing to do with that God of yours. God, I pray that you would allow us just invitations to speak of your goodness, speak of your love, speak of the firm foundation that you've offered us and invited us into to build upon you, Lord. God, let our lives show your goodness, let our lives show your presence, your love and your mercy to a broken and hurting world. And God, let us not be forceful, but Father, rather let us just walk with each other, put our arms around each other, and just invite each other to your table where you've prepared a feast that's like no other feast. A feast of the bread of life. You filled cups with your living water. So Lord, let us come and just be with you and invite others to do the same. So, Lord, as you just speak to us, I just ask that you would simply come, Holy Spirit. Come.